All righty, we're going to be in the final verses of the book of Ruth tonight. If you'd open your Bibles there, please. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 22. And I think I'll read the text and then we'll pray and then we'll go through this study tonight. So we read in verse 13, So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor woman gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Peretz. To Peretz was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nakshon, and to Nakshon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. Let's pray. Father, this is a remarkable book that you've put in your Bible, and it's a remarkable story that you tell here that really is quite a story of grace. And we pray that we would, as we wrap up this book tonight, thanking you for the privilege we've had of going through it, we pray your blessing would be on it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when this story of the book of Ruth began, you would never dream this is going to turn out to be a happy ever after story. You'd never think that because it began in the times of the judges with people doing everything which they consider to be right in their own eyes. And it also began with a family who decided to leave the promised land and go to a heathen land and live in the land of the Moabites. Then, shortly after that move, three members of the family died, and you end up with a widow who's left with nothing but a Moabite daughter-in-law. So when the story starts out, you would think, well, this probably isn't going to be a good ending story, but the script was far from being over. This book of Ruth is like no other story you'll ever read. It's a unique story that ends up with a man whose name is Boaz marrying a woman whose name is Ruth, and out of this union that becomes so blessed by God, you have King David and Jesus Christ. What a story this is. The ingredients of it are worth careful study and analysis Because the story is one of tragedy and life and blessings, and God's in the midst of the entire story. Now, when Naomi made a decision to go back to Bethlehem and back to the Lord, she had absolutely no clue as to what was going to happen. And when Ruth decided, I'm going along with Naomi back to Bethlehem and to the land of the Lord from the land of Moab, she had no idea either. I'm sure that probably both of them felt were destined for probably a long, lonely life. But God said, no, I've got different plans. I've got different plans for both of you. Now, Ruth loved Naomi, and she wanted to have a relationship with the God of Israel. And she moved, probably thinking, I'm not going to get married again. But I'm going to be in a land that is dedicated to the God of Israel. I'm going to be in a land that's dedicated to Jehovah. But when she got to Bethlehem, things took a dramatic turn in her life. She didn't have any idea as to the future blessings that were going to come her way in just a few weeks. 
She had no idea what God was ultimately going to do because of this commitment decision that she made to take a risk to leave her homeland, leave Moab, move to where the word of God was esteemed and where the people of God loved the Lord. What we see here is God sovereignly blesses Ruth and Naomi, both in temporal and eternal ways. He blesses them in ways they could have never dreamed because they were focused on having a right relationship with him. I'm convinced this is a critical theme of the book. When an individual purposes to put God and the word of God first and is willing to take a risk to do it, that individual will end up never regretting it. In fact, from that point on, that person has no idea what God's going to ultimately do. He may take a person to unbelievable blessings. Now, there are seven final observations we want to make. And the first one is Boaz marries Ruth. That's what you read in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Now, this relationship is going to be one that God is going to remarkably bless. And if we think through what this couple did prior to the wedding, we do get some idea as to a relationship or the kind of relationship that God does bless at the ultimate level. Although, Before we get into analyzing that, I want to make a couple of remarks. Two others that will be named later in the book, Peretz and Salmon, come from a pretty wild background. So it doesn't really have to be a perfect background in order to have God do some amazing things with a couple. But you have to admit, this couple did actually do some things right. First of all, they kept the relationship pure. They did not engage in any type of sexual behavior before marriage. Secondly, they obeyed the law. They obeyed the social legal law of marriage. They went through the normal legal process to be married. Thirdly, they obeyed God's word. They carefully followed the land and marriage stipulations that the law of God, the word of God required in this relationship. And they also met with the religious leaders. They submitted themselves to godly leadership. So they did do a lot of things right. What we learn when we come to this verse is Boaz, he finally marries Ruth. And that in itself is just an amazing event because Boaz legally marries a Moabite woman. And according to Deuteronomy 23.3, Moses admonished Israel, you need to be very careful about a relationship you would have with the Moabites. And in this case, Boaz marries a Moabite. But of course, we know, having come through the story, that Ruth had earned a reputation as being a woman of excellent reputation. So Boaz married her. Think about what's happened to this woman. She has been elevated from being a foreigner and a nobody to one of the highest levels she could have ever dreamed. Beginning with the barley harvest, when they showed up, think about this, they show up at the beginning of the barley harvest, and we are now just nine or ten weeks later from that harvest, nine or ten weeks later. My goodness, wow, this woman's life has changed. She's now married to Boaz, the most reputable and important man in Bethlehem, This happened in just a few short weeks of time. She had spent years in Moab land. She had spent years in that wilderness area. But once she turned her life over to the Lord, her life dramatically changed. I'll tell you, if there's a lesson to learn from this life of Ruth, it is that. You may come from a rugged past and a rugged world. Turn your life over to the Lord and good things can really happen fast. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you turn your life over to the Lord, good things will happen pretty fast. Now, when the text says he took Ruth, it means that he legally married her. He took her to his house. This actually was a legal part of the process when a man would take his wife to his house to live with him. So the status 
of Ruth has dramatically changed in the progression of the story. As Robert Hubbard said in his commentary, Ruth has really socially ascended up the ladder here. I mean, when the story starts out, she's a foreigner. She's a Nakrith. When the story starts out, then she's the lowest maidservant, a Shifakah, and then she goes to being a maidservant, an Amath, and then she goes to being Boaz's wife, Anisha. So what we have here is we have a woman who has just actually gone from being a nobody to being a somebody, and that's what a relationship with the Lord does. A relationship with God elevates your status in every way, every area of life. No one will ever regret committing their life to the Lord and seeking to understand and apply the word of God. When a person decides to put God first in his or her life and a person is serious about obeying the word of God, they can see some amazing things happen in the future and they can happen quickly. There will be a progression of development. There will be a progression of growth and there will be a progression of blessings. That certainly came from Ruth, who starts out as a foreigner, ends up a wife. Now, the second observation, she conceives a baby. That's what we see in verse 13. And verse 13 said, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Don't overlook that statement. It's the Lord. It's the Lord that enabled her to conceive. There are only two times in this book of Ruth that we read that God directly intervened in the situation. In chapter 1 and verse 6, it was the Lord who directly intervened in the promised land, start blessing the people again in the promised land by direct intervention. Now what we learn is the fact that Ruth conceives this baby is also by direct intervention. And those people who support abortion, I'm telling you, they've got big problems coming down the road. They better realize that they're taking a life that is something that has been ordained by God, Regardless of circumstances, that life has been ordained by God. And the word of God makes it very clear, people that think lightly of that are going to be held highly accountable for the murder they committed, and it is murder. And God is the one who permits this woman to conceive, and the conception obviously is critical to the birth of this baby, so life starts right there. Now, Ruth had been previously married. You know that because we saw that. I mean, her previous husband, McClone, had died, but she had been married for 10 years, never conceived a child there. But when she was involved with Boaz and became his wife, and they had intimate relations, she conceived. And the reason she did conceive is because God was in this. Never underestimate what God can do at any time in anybody's life. This child was a gift from God. I'm sure Ruth had given up on the thought that I'm going to ever have a baby. But what God did is he intervened in her world right here, and she did. And she didn't know half of what this child would ultimately become in the connection that he would have. Which brings us to the third observation. She gives birth to a son. That's what we read in verse 13. And she gave birth to a son. The writer wants to stress that point. So now you jump ahead nine months from when Ruth is married to the time where she gives birth to a baby. And she not only has a baby, she has a son, not a daughter. God wants that known, that he was secretly, silently, sovereignly at work in this birth of this boy in ways they could never dream. He gave her this baby. The baby was from God. It was not from, and I think this is interesting, the stress here is this didn't come from an intimate moment between a husband and wife. The stress of this baby is it came from God. God is the one who did it. And so God is the one who determines who is born and who isn't born. 
Which brings us to the fourth observation, the women honor Naomi, verses 14 and 15. Then the women said to Naomi, now this is just an amazing turn of events in the life of Naomi, who is an old woman by now. When this story began, Naomi and her family had moved away from Bethlehem, and I'm sure there was a stigma to that. I'm sure when they got back there, you know, I mean, they weren't looked favorably for their lack of faith and leaving the promised land, then coming back. Naomi and her family moved away from Bethlehem. They moved to the land of Moab. And when she came back, she sure didn't feel like a winner. I mean, we know that because of what she said. She didn't feel like a winner. She didn't even want to be called by her first name, Naomi. She said, call me Mara, call me Bitter. So when she got back there, she was pretty low. This great blessing for Naomi that she would have at this point in time came late in life, and don't overlook that. This is probably the greatest blessing of Naomi's life. It comes after her husband is dead. It comes after her sons are dead. And it comes after Ruth, her daughter-in-law, has married a guy and has had a baby. And now, in the twilight years of her life, God is going to bless her at the greatest level of blessing she's ever experienced. The women of Israel actually show up to honor her. The women of Israel actually show up to honor a woman who at one time had moved out of the land of Israel to the land of Moab. This is an amazing reversal of events that is all wrought by the sovereign hand of a sovereign God. What God has done is he's blessed Naomi because she wanted to be right with him. She wanted to go back and get under the word of God and be with the people of God. He has blessed her. Now, there are six realities that we want to observe from when these women show up. First of all, they bless the Lord. Verse 14 says, Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord. These women are giving God, literally the Lord, Jehovah, the covenant sovereign I am of Israel. They're giving God all the credit for everything that's happened here. So the first thing these women of Bethlehem did when they got before Naomi is they burst out in a praise of God for his kindness and blessings in permitting this baby to be born to the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi finally had a grandchild that would carry on the family name. And these women are praising the Lord for that. Secondly, they acknowledge that she has a redeemer. Now, I want you to notice carefully the language here. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today. That's important. Without a redeemer today. God not only had not left Naomi, but he had redeemed her and blessed her. He had turned things around dramatically for her. And by adding that word today, it indicates this refers to the baby. It's not referring to Boaz. This is referring to the baby. In other words, these women are, in some ways, making a prophetic prediction. In other ways, they're stating something that has a contemporary application for Naomi. First of all, they're saying the baby that has been born is the Goel who's going to carry on the name of the family and is going to carry on the preservation of the land inheritance. So that's going to be a redemption thing that this baby born today is going to do. And secondly, through this baby will come a lineage that's going to bring the ultimate redeemer into this world. I'm not even sure the ladies understand the ramifications of what they're saying here, but this is certainly part of the inspired word of God, and God is basically saying, you don't realize this little baby that's born here is going to produce a lineage that will bring the ultimate redeemer into the world. Now, the third reality is they ask that his name be famous in Israel. In verse 14, and his name become famous in Israel. I mean, these ladies... 
I don't think they show up at every birth of a baby and say this stuff. I mean, I just don't think this was what you would normally have at a baby shower where these ladies are showing up and they're saying this stuff. I mean, they are actually showing up here and they're sensing there's something sovereign here about the work of God in the birth of this baby. And they viewed this as something very significant for the nation Israel. And I think, again, they're getting prophetic perception here that's been given to them by the Spirit of God. It's far-reaching. The ladies sense this baby is destined to become famous. This baby is destined to become famous in Israel. I mean, we're talking about national Israel. So you have these ladies show up at Naomi's house, and they just come into her house, and they start saying this stuff to her. And they're saying that this baby who's been born to this Moabite woman is going to be a famous baby in the history of Israel. They had no idea how famous this baby would be or the line that this baby would produce. One would come from this baby who would be high and exalted in Israel, and that would be King David. But one would come down the road through this very lineage of people who would be none other than Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But these ladies are showing up and they're saying that to Naomi. The fourth reality is they ask this boy restores life. Verse 15 says, may he also be to you a restorer of life. The birth of this baby would restore life to Naomi. It revived her. I mean, think about Naomi for a minute. I mean, she's old, she's sitting home, and all these ladies show up and they start talking about this baby, her grandson. They start talking about her grandson. They're telling her this, and all of a sudden she realizes, man, God's with me. God's on my side. Now, again, she had been a bitter woman when she came back because of all of the negative things she'd experienced when they moved to the land of Moab. She came back somewhat hopeless. She believed the hand of God was against her when she got back to Bethlehem. As I mentioned, she said, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. She said, Almighty God has seen fit to afflict me. Now, these women show up at her house with the birth of this baby, and they say, man, do you realize that God has done something wonderful for you? He's restored your name. He's restored your family. He's restored your integrity. He's taken away your shame in your old age. That's what God's capable of doing. I don't care how old a person is or how young a person is. God's in the business of being able to restore people. If people turn to him, if people turn to his word, if they truly want to do his will, God can restore hope and life. He can put vibrancy back into a life that's dead. And that's exactly what he did for Naomi. The fifth reality is they asked this boy would sustain her in her old age. And verse 15 says, and a sustainer of your old age. The women realized that Naomi is old, and obviously she's very old, but now she had a grandson who could look out for her. And this baby breathed new life into Naomi. This baby was Boaz's son. And what that would mean for Naomi is, I don't have any worries for the rest of my life. I mean, Boaz was a very prestigious man, a very wealthy man, and he was in a pretty good position to take good care of Naomi for the rest of her life. And now that they have this new baby who is in the family, and it's the grandson of Naomi, I mean, it's true, this boy would be used in many ways to help sustain this woman's life, even in her old age. Which brings us to the sixth reality. They acknowledge that her daughter-in-law is the best she could ever have. I think this is one of the most amazing things when you consider this is a Moabite woman, Israelite women testifying of a Moabite woman. 
And what they're saying is, may he be a restorer of life and sustainer of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. These are Jewish women singing high praises concerning a Moabite woman. And this relationship that they're singing about here is not based just simply on the fact that Ruth had a baby. They make that clear. There are three praises that they sing here. The first praise is, we know Ruth loves you, Naomi. Ruth loved Naomi. You know, sometimes when you see relatives or in-laws pull in the driveway, you go, oh, brother. <laughs> you know, and uh, all right, let's just make the best of it and get over it. I mean, it's just life. That's the way it works. Not in this relationship. I mean, in this relationship, when Ruth literally saw Naomi or Naomi saw Ruth, this was a wonderful relationship, and it was more than just a mother-daughter relationship. This was a real friendship that would exist for the rest of her life, and these ladies knew it. And they realized that this relationship was not just solely about this baby. They realized that Naomi had a daughter-in-law that loved her. I mean, literally loved her. Secondly, Ruth is better than seven sons. These are Israeli women saying this, saying that she's better than seven sons. Now, the Jewish women are placing a higher value on having Ruth as a daughter-in-law than if they had seven sons. Seven sons were considered to be an equal, complete blessings of God. These women are telling Naomi that Ruth is better than that. And thirdly, Ruth has given birth to a son. This son would turn out to be an incredible son. So these women show up at Naomi's house and they just reveal all of these things to her. Naomi's just listening to this. And now we come to what Naomi does, the fifth observation. She just takes the child and becomes his nurse. Verse 16 says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. I look at this because of that adverb then that starts verse 16 and say, Naomi didn't say a word. I mean, what would you say? You have these ladies from Israel show up at your house and they reveal all this to you. And Naomi was dumbfounded when they got done saying. And so in response to this, Naomi doesn't start talking. And she's talked a lot throughout the book in telling Ruth what to do and discussions that she had with Ruth. She doesn't say anything here. What she does is she picked up her grandson. She picked up her grandson and laid him in her lap. Naomi would play an important role raising and training this child. She became not only the child's nanny, but his grandmother, and I'm sure they had a great relationship. Naomi is a gray-haired old woman at this point in time, but she acts like a warm, tender-hearted, loving mother, and she became like a parent to this baby. Now, the sixth observation, and this really gets weird, these women name the child. You talk about a uh, little presumptuous. We read in verse 17, the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi, so they named him Obed. Now that's unusual, very unusual. In Exodus chapter 2, when Pharaoh's daughter found that baby in a basket, she named him Moses, but you didn't have the mother or grandmother right there saying, oh, that's not his name. And in Luke 1.59, when Elizabeth gave birth to John, 
Elizabeth neighbors wanted to name him Zacharias. Elizabeth said, no, 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 you're not going to name him. He's not getting the name Zacharias. He's getting the name John. And then, of course, in Matthew 121, the angel told Joseph that the baby Mary was going to have was going to be given the name Jesus. But to have the neighbor ladies show up to your house and then name your baby is really odd. The neighbor ladies showed up to name the baby in front of the grandmother, and they named him Obed, which is a good name. It's a name that means one who serves and worships God. The name Obed is mentioned three times in the context. Now, I don't think that Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz were against the name. In fact, had they been against the name, they probably would have said something at this point. At least Naomi would have said something. But it is odd that these neighbor women would be involved in all of this. They don't realize the importance of this name, though. They have no idea. I'm telling you, God's sovereign hand's in this. He's controlling what's coming out of their mouths. God is controlling what's coming out of their mouths. He can turn minds the way he wants to turn them. He can allow things to come out of their mouths. They don't even know why they're saying what they're saying. And I think he's the one who's actually prompting them to name this baby that. Because through this one would come the greatest servant of God to ever walk on the face of this earth who would be the son of God. This baby would have far-reaching serving influence on more than just this family. By the women naming this baby Obed, it means that God was going to use this baby in serving ways they couldn't imagine. He became the father of Jesse, who's the father of David, who's the key agent in the line of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the final observation, the generations of David are specifically listed. This is about David because you'll notice in verse 17 it says, He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then when you get down to the end of the list that we go through, it ends with David. Now, this is really all about the genealogy of David. And it had to have been written, I think, right around the time of David in 1000 BC. And the reason I say that is because there's no mention of Solomon. I mean, you would have certainly thought if we're going to string out a total lineage here that goes beyond David, you're going to mention Solomon, who was critical to building the temple. But that's not mentioned here at all in any way, shape, or form. So I would say we are coming in right around the time of David. Now, the book of Ruth ends here with a genealogical lineage, and the word generations, that Toledoth word, out of Genesis. You'll remember when we went through the book of Genesis, that word Toledoth shows up. There are these Toledoth sections. These are the generations of sections, Toledoth in Hebrew. And it's the Toledoth word in Hebrew that's used right here. And you'll remember when we went through the book of Genesis, what those sections mean is this what happened to the family. This is what became of the family. When we track the family, this is what became of them. And we may recall that Peretz was the illegitimate son of Judah in an immoral relationship that he had with Tamar, and that particular relationship was brought up by the people in chapter 4 and verse 12. Remember, when the people were sanctioning the wedding of Boaz and Ruth, they said, moreover, may your house be like the house of Peretz, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So in their minds, they're thinking, well, this relationship, I mean, you know, Tamar and Judah, that wasn't a real relationship that would have been scripted by people's minds who would have known all the biblical truths. They wouldn't have scripted that story for producing a child in the line. And so they're probably thinking, well, this is a story. He's marrying a Moabite woman, and this is a story that can turn out like that. I mean, it can turn out being blessed of God, and someone can come through that line who can be blessed of God. Now, the first five names on the list, Peretz and Nakshon, take us from the time of entry into Egypt till the time of Moses. 
You get a gap of several hundred years, and then you go Salmon to David, and that takes us from the early time of living in the promised land to the closing years of the judges into the kings. To Peretz was born Hezron. Hezron was born in Egypt. To Hezron was born Ram. Ram was the second son of Hezron. To Ram was born Aminadab. Now, Aminadab was the father-in-law of Aaron, who was the high priest. To Aminadab was born Nakshon. Nakshon was the tribal chief selected to help Moses, and he was also a leader of Israel's army. To Nakshon was born Solomon. Now, to Salmon was born Boaz. So Salmon is the father of Boaz, and Salmon's mother was Rahab the harlot. So you have here, right in the lineage line that they're establishing here of Jesus Christ, because by the time you're developing this line, which is the same line developed by Matthew in Matthew chapter 1, you're getting the lineage line of the Davidic line that leads to the birth of Jesus Christ. You have these stories that don't fit in to necessarily a scripted type of perfect righteousness, which shows you God uses imperfect people. He uses imperfect stories to accomplish his purposes. To Boaz was born Obed. Obed was the grandfather of David. To Obed was born Jesse. Jesse's the father of David. And to Jesse was born David. David was Jesse's seventh son, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 2. Now, all of this happened in the days of the judges. So here's what we have here. We have God sovereignly at work in the dark days of the judges. It's quite a story that took place in the dark days of the judges. His program was fully operating with people who were being born. He had a future redeemer in mind who could save people from dark times, in dark times, who could save people from their sins. The story of Ruth is not just a story about a Moabite woman. It's a story about the sovereignty of God and being able to save anybody from any side of the tracks. God is sovereignly at work in all situations and circumstances of life. I mean, think for a minute of what we've seen as we've gone through this book of Ruth. Think of the circumstances we've seen in this book. We've seen tragedy and death. We've seen travel and relocation. We've seen work and need for groceries. We've seen eating and sleeping. We've seen repentance and risk. We've seen dating and marriage. You've seen the birth of a baby. And what's behind all of this that's going on in this book? The sovereignty of God. In other words, God was working in life. He was working in individual people's lives. People's lives who made a decision to be right with God. Naomi and Ruth are more than just a mother and grandmother of a baby. They're part of producing an incredible lineage that would lead to the birth of the Son of God. And I want to leave us with one final point from this book. Naomi, as the story began, had moved away from God. I'm convinced she was out of fellowship with God. She moved away from the Word of God. She moved away from the people of God. But she went back. She said, you know what? I'm not going the right direction. It's not right. I need to go back. And when she went back, she went right back into the blessings of God. I think there's a tremendous grace lesson to learn from this book of Ruth. You may have been a person, you've moved way away from the word of God. You could be a person who's moved way away from the will of God. You could have moved way away from the church of God. You could have moved way away from the righteousness of God. You could have moved way off into sin. 
Well, the bookaroo says, turn around and come back. Because if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to turn around and come back, you may come into the greatest blessings of your life that you've never dreamed, no matter what your age. That's the story of the book of Ruth. And I want to thank you for taking time out of your life to go through that story. That completes our study. Lord willing, next Wednesday night, we'll introduce to you a new book, the book of Haggai. And I normally don't get into anything that's personal because I don't do that, but I probably should finishing the book of Ruth. And I don't do this for some sleazy manipulation here, but tonight is Mary and my 49th wedding anniversary. 49 years we've been married. And, uh, and she's been a real blessing. So thank you. Good night. The Lord bless you.